Coming up on Garden Talk. If you can get those tomatoes to open up and, and to, to intake CO2, it'll increase your growth and your performance of your plants like so much. It got me nervous wanting to venture into the organics, but as soon as I did and as soon as I found out how simple it was, it was like, why didn't I do this from the start? Let's all add another layer of living soil, sea soil on top of the top dressing so that that top inch is only the living soil that's kind of drying out. Once I see tap roots or some sort of root formation, I'll transplant them into little half gallon square pots. It becomes super simple when you want it to be simple. Just dive into it. Get into the living soil and just start. What's up everybody? If you that don't know me, my name is Chris, aka Mr. Grow It, and you're tuned into the Garden Talk Podcast. This is episode number 35. In this episode, I interview Jeff from Mad Hatter Organics. He has been gardening for five years, and he grows plants such as cucumbers, peppers, corn, medicinal varieties, sunflowers, marigolds, and more. In this episode, he talks about his style of organic gardening. He likes to keep things easy in the garden, and he talks a lot about the easy gardening techniques that he does. Thanks to all of you who support this podcast or Patreon. If you'd like to support, you can do so by going to patreon.com slash mrgrowit. Before we get into it, I want to acknowledge that one of my goals for this podcast is to bring zero cost for information about gardening, all plants, to the general public. That being said, I'd like to thank the sponsors of this podcast who help make that goal possible. Thanks to AC Infinity for sponsoring this podcast. They sent me over their grow tent, which has a canvas density of 2000D, making them the thickest grow tent on the market today. It has an aluminum plate that mounts your controller to the grow tent with a lightproof pass-through for cable routing. The frame has 50% thicker steel poles and carries two times more weight than the standard grow tents. Coupon code MrGrowIt will get you a discount on their products, and I'll leave a link to their website down in the description section below. Dutch Pro is a sponsor of the podcast. Coupon code MrGrowIt10DP will get you a discount on their products. They are a plant fertilizer company that has been around for over 30 years. They originated in Amsterdam, and their nutrients are available in several countries across the world. They have everything needed for proper plant nutrition, from base nutrients to additives and pH regulators. I will leave a link to Dutch Pro's Amazon store down in the description section below. And don't forget to use coupon code MrGrowIt10DP for a discount on their products. A big supporter of this podcast is Spider Farmer. They sponsor this podcast, and I use their LED grow lights. Spider Farmer now has a bar style series of LED grow lights. They have the SE3000, a four bar fixture for a three foot by three foot grow space. The SE5000, a six bar fixture for a four foot by four foot grow space. And the SE7000, a six bar fixture for a five foot by five foot grow space. I will leave a link to Spider Farmer down in the description section below, and you can use discount code MrGrowIt5 during checkout for a discount on their products. All right, we are back. Welcome to the Garden Talk podcast. Today I am joined with Jeff from Mad Hatter Organics. How are you doing today? Good, man. Good. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for joining me today. We're going to talk all about organic gardening. You have a pretty easy techniques. You do a lot of easy techniques when it comes to organics, and we're going to get into that today. I know there's a lot of people out there that watch my channel, tune into this podcast, that they are they grow with synthetic bottled nutrients, and they want to make that transition over to organics. And I think kind of this conversation here with you will kind of unravel how easy organics can actually be. 
So I'm super excited for this one. One thing that we usually start out with is, could you just kind of tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of how you got into gardening? Yeah, for sure. Um, I've kind of always been into gardening from a young age. Uh, my dad had a huge uh, vegetable garden out back of our, our property and um, he kind of just made me get my hands dirty in it. So uh, I started started when I was probably four or five doing that. And then uh, as time grew, I you know became a late teens. I, I started uh, I started actually going into hydroponics. I grabbed uh, a general hydroponics grow bucket with some general organics uh, bottled nutrients. And I messed around with some tomato plants, and they were the, the most delicious hydroponic tomatoes I've ever tasted in my life. So it was kind of just intriguing with, with organics and, and growing stuff. And uh, so, yeah, I, I kind of dabbled into the medical market and um, in the legacy side of things. And we, uh, we had quite a few plants in uh, uh, current culture, hydroponics. And so I did a few years of that, and and then I moved. I moved a thousand kilometers away from from where that was, and uh, and then the legal market came alive in Canada here, and I uh, I started growing med- medical stuff, and um, I actually just started using synthetics like most people, you know, uh, ProMix HP. Just bottled nutrients, normal, you know, Calmeg stuff like that, and uh, and then I got into Fox Farm Ocean Forest, so it's you know mostly organic mix, and um, I seen how I seen how easy it was. I seen just you know add water, and the plants just grew, and they grew like beautiful, beautiful plants, um, and I kind of did that whole synganic side of things. So I started off organic and then I went after the nutrients kind of drained out of the soil, I, I went back into the bottles again. And that's kind of when I started to see my problems. The, you know, the CalMag issues and, and pH uh, toxicities and stuff like that. And and I was just like, man, I, why am I doing this to myself? Why can't I why can't I just add water the entire time? Like, so I kind of looked up a bunch of soil mixtures. Um, my local my local hydro store has uh, has guy green nutrients, so I just I threw a bunch of that in there and started messing around. And now I'm like full blown organics, and it's it, it's just amazingly simple. It can be real easy for sure once you kind of figure things out. You know, it might take a little bit of research to begin with, and some people might complain that you're not able to kind of look at a one-page thing and follow yeah. a chart, a feeding chart like you can with bottled nutrients, right? But yeah. once you figure out the basics and you kind of have a general understanding of things, it really can be as simple as just watering and top dressing, you know what I mean? Yeah. And we'll get into that a little bit deeper here in a few. So now you actually have a YouTube channel too, so you're actually showing off your garden to an audience yeah. now. I know you have, have your YouTube channel up right here, 182 subscribers, Looks like you probably have a couple dozen videos. Yeah, it's and, fairly uh, new. It's it's maybe about six months old or so. So it's fairly new. I'm just trying to get into get into it. 
I'll definitely link it down in the YouTube description section below. So if you are on YouTube, you can easily navigate to his channel and check it out. And then if you are on one of the podcast platforms, search Mad Hatter Organics, and that'll take you to his channel. So are you just an indoor grower or do you do outdoor growing or or what? Yeah, um, I've dabbled into outdoor growing, but where I am, it's... It's a very weird climate. Um, we have a late, or I guess, yeah, late spring. So it goes into about May twentieth is the last frost. Um, so like, you know, I can't get my plants out until May twentieth, and then first frost is September fourteenth. So I have a very short period. I can really only grow autoflowers. Um, I have dabbled into photo periods, but they just take way too long. They go far into October and uh, they just end up getting, you know, the humidity spikes because the temps drop so much. Um, so I just end up getting bad bud rot. And, and uh, this year we had horrible, horrible thrips. Um, and then we also have a bunch of hemp farms around that, uh, that just, the aphids, the aphids are absolutely insane. Uh, I've, I've done everything I can, and I'm just, I've kind of given up on the outdoor stuff. But I do grow lots of vegetables outdoor: um, corn, tomatoes, cucumbers, peppers. You know, all the, all the general stuff. Uh, but I think next year I'll probably be dabbling into a little bit more uh, vegetables. So you're mostly indoors now. Can you talk about what your current indoor grow room setup kind of looks like? You know, what size grow room are you in? Lighting, ventilation, so on and so forth. Yeah. Uh, so I have a little desktop Vivo Sun tent. Uh, it's got. It's actually for propagation, so seedlings and clones. Um, it has a little Spider Farmer SF three hundred. It's a little 35 watt unit, perfect for cloning and seedling for, for myself at least. Um, I've got a little four inch fan in there to circulate air, uh, and then a little a little nightstand de- or a humidifier. So it takes a little water bottle, you pop it on top, and it just has this little cool mist that comes out, and it keeps humidity perfect in there. So yeah, I, I run that for a few weeks, and then. I have it set up so it's uh, perpetual. Uh, it goes into my 2x4 Vivo Sun tent that I have a Spider Farmer SF4000 in that I've dimmed down to about 40 50%. Uh, if I crank it up, it just the heat just becomes too much in there. Uh, so I have a little 4 inch fan, exhaust fan that kicks out of there. I've got my vents open in there. I use that as my veg tent, so the lights are staying on from 18 to 6, 18 to 6. Um, and I also use auto pots. Uh, so once they're done in the seedlings, I transplant them into the auto pots. I start the veg off for about a month in the auto pots, and then they get kicked over to my 5x5 five five that's right behind me here. Um, I've got an 8-bar LED, just an Alibaba one um 650 watt it produces some some light for sure uh so i've got that set up with a six inch exhaust fan 
Um, and then another auto pots with the aqua five valves. So I just basically take them out of the two by or two by four ten, the pots, and I just transplant them over into the the trays into the five by five. So it's super simple. Uh, I also have everything set up on uh, Inkbird controllers. So I have the seedling tent has Inkbird controllers and a heat mat. The two x four has. Uh, both the humidifier or humidity and temp controllers—they're non-Wi-Fi—and then I have the five x five with the humidity and temp controller. They're both Wi-Fi, so I can check them on my phone to make sure that all my temps and humidity are are, are set perfect. And uh, and yeah, so they my temp controller is set up on with a exhaust fan to pull out hot air if it gets way too hot in there. Uh, and then it's, and I also have a little roll around oil fed heater that uh, kicks on because I'm I'm in my basement and I'm in southern Alberta where it gets minus thirty. So it it in my basement it gets pretty cold. So I have my heater there just in case the temps do dip down too far. It'll kick on and and heat up the tent. Uh, and then I have my dehumidifier set up on my Inkbird controller or humid humidity controller. So once the humidity is too high, it kicks on the dehum and sucks all the humidity out. And I also have the humidifier that's, you know, if it gets too high or it gets too low, then it kicks on. So you got multiple tents for the different stages of growth. And one way to keep it easy, you just mentioned, is you have automation, right? So you're yeah, able yeah. to control the environment's conditions through automation, the import controller, the heater, so on and so forth. So. Definitely yeah. a way to keep it easy is to invest in the equipment in order to make it easy. So your your hands off uh, quite a bit there. Yeah, totally. In regards to um, controlling the environment. Now, are you starting from seed or do you usually do clone? Uh, it really depends on what I do. Um, obviously, I start auto flowers from seed. If I do do auto flowers, um, I'm kind of leaning away from it. I did a few years of it, so I'm just kind of interested in photo periods now um but i mostly start from seed with photo periods and right now i'm doing a pheto hunt a 20 seed pheto hunt that uh that i've started from seed and i will be transplanting everything over into the two by four soon um finding the females calling off the males and uh and then i'll be taking clones and cloning the plants out so i do a little bit of both Okay, cool. Now, what are you, a soil grower, cocoa, what's in your mix? It's a, kind of a little bit of everything. It's a super cocoa, I like to call it. Uh, it's a cocoa, co cocoa pearl uh, from Psycho, Psycho Nutrients. I don't know if you're familiar with them. They're from Australia. But, uh, yeah, so cocoa core with, uh, with perlite in it. Uh, and then I add some either Gaia Green Living Soil or Sea Soil. And then I'll add worm castings and Gaia Green Dry Amendments. So it's a little bit of a, a super cocoa mix. What are you adding in? Can you give us a little bit of details about like kind of your ratio and kind of what you're adding in? So what your initial mix kind of consists of in detail? Yeah. Um, so it's... My, the auto pots are 3.9 gallons, so I'll add uh, about 
two and a half gallons of cocoa core, uh, half gallon of worm castings, and then half gallon of the living soil or sea soil, and then I'll mix in the dry amendments on top of all that. Okay, and then you're just following the instructions for the dry amendments according to what is it, Gaia Green? What is it? You know, whatever tablespoon per gallon it, it mentions on the packaging. Yeah, I think uh, what did I have it set for? I think it was three tablespoons per gallon. Yeah, it was. Uh, I, I mix in the four 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 and the two eight four, the all-purpose and the power bloom. Got it. So tr- three tablespoons per gallon for each of those. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. So that's your initial yeah. mix. And then you're starting out in smaller containers. You mentioned, correct me if I'm wrong. Let me make sure I'm visualizing this right. You're starting off in the smaller containers in your seedling tent, and then you're transplanting into directly into that auto pot container, that three point whatever, a four gallon container, we'll say for easy. It's just under four gallons, I believe it yeah. is. Auto pot XL, I believe it is. Yeah. When do you actually do that transplanting? So, yeah, like uh, I start off my seedlings in Rockwell cubes. And then once I see tap roots or some sort of root formation, um, I'll transplant them into a little half gallon square pots um, or solo cups. Uh, and I'll just, I'll, I'll basically just transplant those right into like a living soil or a sea soil, just so they're not getting too much nutrients. So they sort of, so they're not getting burnt right away. Typically I'll leave them in those solo cups or half gallons for about two weeks and then I'll transplant them into those pots. Um, into the auto pods four gallons and I'll leave them in veg in the auto pods for about four weeks so then they'll deplete kind of their veg nutrients out of that mixture and then once I, I throw them over into the 5x5 five five flower tent so I'll veg I'll start my seeds and veg for a total of one and a half months um, and then I'll kick them over into the flower tent and as soon as I do that I'll top dress, I'll tea, and I'll, mic- and I'll add microbial inoc- inoculants. Okay, we'll get into more detail on what nutrients you're feeding, when, and the teas a little bit later. First, what is the water source you're using? Are you using reverse osmosis, distilled, tapped? Are you collecting rainwater and bringing that in? So what do you do for, for water? Well, for all my outdoor stuff, I, I use rainwater. I've got a barrel, barrel collection system with that. Um, I was starting to kind of think about kind of introducing it into, into the tents as well, but, uh, we'll see, we'll see. Um, but I was also using RO, uh, I was running to the store every week or so collecting four big five or I guess they're five gallon jugs of water, you know, they're costing me two bucks a jug, so. It was just getting a little costly and a little time-consuming doing that. So I actually bought um, one of those bo- boogie filters, I think. The, they're like RV filters for, for camping trailers. You hook them up to your hose, and they get rid of contaminants that are in the water out of your tap. Uh, they dechlorinate it. They get rid of a lot of the chloramine. Um, they just reduce overall minerals in the water. So it's more of an acceptable level. Like uh, like yourself, I have kind of a hard water situation here. I'm running about 315 ppm. Um, so I I kind of want to pull as much as I can without spending five six hundred dollars on an RO system for my hose. 
So as of right now, I've switched to just using a filter on the end of a hose and pulling all the minerals out of it. Yeah, it's a good thing to remove the chlorine and chloramine in particular because that's what's known to kill off the microbes in the medium, right? And that's yeah. what's the microbes you want in a, a organic system because that's they're there working to break down those amendments and turn them into usable nutrients for the plants. Yep. So uh, it's good that you're you're filtering that out there. Now you mentioned the RO system being very expensive. I think you said what three four hundred dollars. I know you live in a completely different area than than me. I have a five-stage one that I have underneath my sink, and that one ran me about 200 U.S. So I don't, yeah. I don't know. I think Canada. Probably about 300 It's a little Canadian. bit more in, mm-hmm. in there. But I did the math on it, and it does turn out to be good for me. I know everybody's different, number of plants you're growing, blah, 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 blah. But it can be worth the investment. And this is particularly talking about to the people who did what you did, which was go to an RO station you know what I mean? And spend that yeah. money. I mean, my RO station that's right down the street, it's like a dollar seventy-five for five gallons. So it can be very, it can add up very quickly, especially if you're yeah. not only putting the, that water into your medium, but if you're also filling up humidifiers, that's another thing you to kind of yeah. calculate as well. So RO system is something that I definitely recommend, but I have, you know, used tap water uh, as long as you're filtering out that chlorine, chlorine, the things that are going to kill off the microbes, which is what you're doing right now. So that's good. Yeah, I was, I'm, I'm not against going RO whatsoever. I, I love it. I just, it's too time consuming, too costly for me right now. So eventually I will get one in the house. Makes sense. And then one last thing to talk about RO, I know some people are going to call this out is it's wasteful, right? So for every gallon of RO, what do you get? Roughly three gallons is going to go out the drain. So recommendation, and I got to give a shout out to Doggo the Hut for this one. Take your drain line put it into a bucket, and then use that for your outdoor plants, right? So you're not yep. really wasting that. It's not just going right back into your local water municipal system, you know what I mean? It's, it, you're actually using that water, so just a, a tip there. Now, are you pH adjusting your water at all, or is it coming out within the range you want it to be in? It's, it's coming out a, li- like a little bit more than I'd like. It's not too bad, uh, but I, I also don't adjust it. Um, I rely on the microbes to balance balance that out for me uh i i trust it and have trusted it so far uh it's been working and i haven't seen any sort of ph issues in my plants so is there a specific ph range that you aim for or are you just like hands off as far as don't even monitor it all just kind of water it in and kind of let the microbes do that thing um my tap comes out at 7.9 so it's it's not horrible uh, I like to see it at seven, um, and I'm, I'm sure the microbes will will balance those out to seven. Okay, that makes sense. Now, talk to us about your watering strategy. I know you're using the autopot system. You mentioned that. Uh, I've used the autopot system in the past as well. We actually had a conversation offline about using the autopot system and organics. Can you just talk to us about the autopot system, kind of how it works in your organic system? Yeah, uh, the autopod system is an automated watering system. It, it, it doesn't require any electricity or any sort of motors or anything to pump with. Uh, it, it works off of capillary actions. So you have a reservoir, a 15-gallon reservoir, that will feed into the trays. Um, the trays 
or your, your soil mixture will then soak it up from the bottom and, you know, use that capillary action to water your, water your plants, water your soil. When, when my nutrients kind of fade out of the soil, uh, I'll top dress. But when I do that, I'll also uh, top water. So I'll add, I'll add uh, a half a gallon or so of water just so I can, I can get the nutrients kind of soaking down into the soil instead of getting pulled up from the bottom. Uh, and then, yeah, I add teas. I top dress the teas as well. Um, I top dress microbes. Every, about every two weeks, I'll shut the system right off. I'll, I'll turn, yeah, I'll turn the system right off and I'll, I'll let the soil dry out for a day or two. And then that way I can, I can top water without having that soil absolutely saturated and drowning the roots out. That's what I was doing too. You know, autopod system, like you mentioned, it's hooked up to a reservoir and it's coming down and it's, it's basically dumping out water, nutrient mix, whatever you have in the res to the bottom of the pot. And then it's like you said, capillary action, which people that don't know that it's basically just wicking up the pot, right? But in my experience, I found that that top inch or so is still, still dries out. So the problem that I ran into in the past, particularly with top dressing organics, is it just it didn't maintain that moisture level, and the moisture level needs to be there in order for the microbes to be active and break down those nutrients that are in that, that top layer. So I struggled. I had like yellowing, like mid-flowering, week five or so, you know, four or five of flowering on some plants. But I did the same exact method that you did, which is turn off that valve and just let the thing dry out for a couple days and then top water. And I also went in there like daily and I was spraying the top of the medium in order to keep it moist, like on a daily basis, one, sometimes two times a day, just that top layer, not soaking it. So it, it goes all the way down, but just doing what I can to try to keep that top layer moist yeah. because it is important when you have an auto watering system there. And there are other, so many different auto watering systems out there. Some of them are up top and, and kind of work their way down, which might be better, arguably better for organics. I know I run the, the blue mat system. That's one that drips down from the top, and I've had no issues with that top layer drying out. But yeah, something I thought that was definitely good that you brought that up and talked about the auto pot system and organics because of the fact that it can be a little tricky, right? It can be a little tricky, but in the long run, it is easier. It is more hands-off, you know? So, yeah. Cool. Yeah, it kind of, like how you were doing it, spraying the top layer, it kind of just defeats the whole purpose of auto watering. It's, you know, like you want that ease and... and reliability of it uh but when you're having to top top water everything it's like what's the point but uh kind of the way i kind of got around that as well with the top dressing is i'll add another layer of living soil sea soil um some sort of of media on top of the top dressing so that that top inch is only the the living soil that's kind of drying out so you have that layer of, of top dressing that will actually be able to get the, the water absorption gotcha yeah i usually use a mulch layer so barley straw is what i what i use that helps keep that layer below the straw below the mulch layer moist do you use a mulch layer at all or just kind of what you mentioned there i yeah no i don't it's just a uh, yeah the living soil kind of layer uh, I recently just got in contact with a, a brewing company to get some rice hulls, so I'll be I'll probably be adding that in for 
for more aeration and more silica. Um, and then that top mulch layer, like you said, to try to keep things a little moister up top. Cool. How about cover crops? Did you do anything for cover crops at all? I don't. Uh, I don't reuse my soil in, well, I don't, I do reuse my soil. I don't reuse them in my tents. Uh, I, I add them to the gardens in my yard. Uh, I will add them to the compost. I'll add them to the, the, the big garden bed for more like auto flower plants out, out in the greenhouse. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't use any, any cover crop. I, I'm kind of looking at getting into, if I can find someone with a two by two, um, fabric bed, I'd like to add it to my two by four. And then if I do end up going that route, I will start doing cover crops that way. Cause then that soil will just be there and I won't have to replace it. How about beneficial like insects? Do you have any like spring trails, rove beetles, isopods, do you use worms in your garden, anything like that at all or? Uh, outdoor stuff, I use worms um, in the beds and that for, for the veggies. Uh, in my tents, I'll use beneficial uh, Swirskis and Californicus um, just to protect for IPM measures for uh, spider mites and, and thrips. Um, but no, I, I, keep, I try to keep everything as clean as possible so I don't need the rove beetles and whatnot too for beneficials and that's one thing i think a lot of people get tripped up on you know especially when they're starting to learn organics they think it's a requirement you know they think it's a requirement to have cover crops they think it's a requirement to have mulch layer they think it's a requirement to have worms a beneficial insects when really it's not you know there's there's that is one way to go about it you could argue that that's the better way to go about it the more natural way to go about it for nutrient cycling and so on and so forth but you can certainly get away with using organic inputs without using any of those beneficials, mulch layer, cover crops, all that stuff. Really, you're just relying on the microbes to break down those amendments, which, which yeah. is what you're doing on this on that avenue. So I think, again, I think a lot of people get tripped up on that. They think they must do that in order to be considered a living organic system or an organic system, whatever you want to call it. But you can get away without it for sure. That's, uh, that's one of the biggest things that when I was starting to get into organics that really kind of got me nervous about it was, was the, so like this, so much information. And There's so many different ways to go about it, right? I mean, yeah. you know, you can do the top dressing way with the organic blends that you're doing, or you can do the living soil and have individual amendments that you put on once in a while. I mean, rely on worms to create worm castings, rely on cover crops to do nitrogen fixation. So there's just, there's so many different ways to go about it. So yeah, I think that's kind of. It got me nervous wanting to venture into the organics, but as soon as I did, and as soon as I found out how simple it was, it was like, why didn't I do this from the start? I hear you. I was the same way, information overload. And then finally I oh, found yeah. out about organic blends and then kind of went that route. So let's get into organic blends in particular, you know, the organic inputs, the organic nutrients that you're using. Correct me if I'm wrong, using Gaia Green, is that yeah. right? Yeah. Okay. You also use worm castings as well, right? Yeah. So when do you first apply? I know you, you mentioned your initial amending of that soil. Now eventually those nutrients are going to be depleted from the soil. So at what point do you apply that first top dressing and what does it consist of? 
so yeah, my first initial amendment mix is when I go to go transplant them from seedling into the veg tent. Um, and then as soon as they're done in the veg tent about week four, so uh, week six from seed, but week four from transplant, uh, I'll throw them over into the five by five uh, flower tent and I will top dress. I'll, I'll mix up a mixture of, of living soil, um, Guy Green 444 and Guy Green 284, and also add in some worm castings, a couple, uh, probably about two cups of worm castings. And then I will scratch the surface up, uh, get those feeder roots kind of exposed, and then I'll top dress all the dry amendments on top of that. And then on top of that top dressing, like I said before, I'll add uh, a layer of living soil just so that it has that dry layer kind of thing. But yeah, that's that's as soon as I start, as soon as I flip them to 12, 12, I top dress. That's tr- traditional. I feel like a lot of people will do that. They'll do it either on at the flip or right before flipping that light cycle, you know, so they have a solid 30, 40 days in veg and then they'll kind of flip over. Some people go even longer than that, but there, there's so many different ways to go about it. Now, let me ask you this. The Gaia Green that you mentioned, 284 and 444, you're doing three tablespoons per gallon for each of those. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. And then do you apply a second top dressing at all throughout the grow? And then what does that consist of if you do? Yeah, I will do the exact same mixture uh, about four weeks into flower, uh, top dressing that as well. Okay. And then are there any other feedings that you do after that, or is that it? So between the top dressing, so I'll go, as soon as I flip the flower, top dress, two weeks after that, I will add a tea, a, a, a brewed compost tea, and then... About a week after that, I'll I'll introduce more microbes. So I use this product called Microbial Mass. Yeah, it has the microbes for that focus on phosphorus breakdown, similar to like a mammoth pea. Is another microbial inoculant that's well known for to have the microbes in there that focus on phosphorus breakdown. It increases the bioavailability of phosphorus. That's that's what I'm looking for there. So then, yeah, so I'll I'll add uh, microbial mass, and I'll also add uh, kydosol. Um, it's, a uh, it's another product for microbial mass where it's derived from crustaceans like crab shells and stuff. So I'll add both microbial mass and ketosol at the same time. Um, and then that's at week three and then week four, I'll top dress again. And then I'll repeat that process until pretty much the flower, the, you know, the end of flower. So usually typically it's about eight to nine weeks and, and uh, I'll let the, I'll let the flowers deplete the soil uh, after that eight, eighth week there. So the microbes that you're using, when do you start them and when do you stop them? Are you also just doing the dosage on the bottle for that? So I'll actually add them right from seedling. Uh, as soon as I, yeah, as soon as I, I, I drop seeds into, into the Rockwell cubes, I'll, I'll add a couple drops of microbial mass, just not not too powerful, but uh, it's increased a little bit of uh, success rate on on the seeds and clones. Um, so yeah, I'll run that all through. It's every pretty much every two to three weeks. I'll run that uh, with with adding them into the auto pots. I will I will double 
the amount that I that's on the bottle just because I I top dress in so I'll top dress in uh, sorry I'll top water in a liter of water with the solution and then I'll double the amount and add in the water from the below um, so it kind of balances each other out uh, so it's back to that bottle recommendation okay that makes sense. And then do you incorporate any sugars into your garden? I think one of the ones that I, I believe I've seen you use in one of your channels before is Liquid Weight by Green Planet Nutrients. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so I'll add that in uh, when I'm doing my compost teas uh, just to actually feed the microbes. I don't like to give them too much sugar. Um, I'd like them to get the plant or to get the sugars that are derived from the plants. Um, so yeah, I do add a little bit of that liquid weight. It's it's a three three part sugar solution, so it's mostly molasses really. Uh, and I'll add that in with my compost teas as well, just to feed the microbes from the compost. Let's get deeper into the compost teas because I know you said you use it throughout the grow, or at least in flowering. Can you talk to us about the compost teas you do? They're just the aerated compost teas. Can you kind of tell us like how much compost you use? to how much water and what else you're, you're adding in? Yeah, uh, so I have these little little mesh bags. They're for produce from the, the grocery stores. Uh, they, they just have little tiny holes in them, just enough so that it, the, the compost and everything doesn't fall out of them. Um, but uh, I'll take a five-gallon bucket, I'll add, I, I compost, I, I have my own compost bin, so I, I, I add worms to my compost bin as well, so it helps break down everything in there. Um, it's just mainly food scraps from, from dinners and, you know, whatever's left over in the, in the, the vegetable bins in the bottom of the fridge. I will add about two cups of that compost to those bags, and then I'll also add a cup of worm castings. And a couple teaspoons uh, or tablespoons of, of the Guy Green Power Bloom. I'm not really 100% sure if the Power Bloom's really doing much if I'm brewing that as well. But I just do it. Just just goes. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I brew, I'll brew those with, with an oxygen or a, a air pump for about 24 to 48 hours. Just kind of typically what everyone does. Uh, and then, yeah, I shut off the autopod systems for two days and let everything dry out, and then I'll, I'll top water all my compost season. And was that for a five-gallon container? Five-gallon Home Depot bucket. Okay. And then you're doing that how often? Once a week or once every other week or what? Uh, once every two weeks, two and a half weeks. And if I feel like I'm, I'm kind of overwatering them with the compost teas, I'll, um, I'll just take them upstairs and give them to the house plants instead. Good point. Got to put it, put it to good use. I mean, you could even yeah. sprinkle that in your backyard, right? Your vegetables. I'm sure they'd love it as well. Oh yeah. 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 I brew all my upbrew compost teas for my lawn and for my vegetables out back and yeah, put it, put it to good use. Uh, one thing I forgot to ask about was temperature and humidity. I don't think we covered that. What do you oh, typically yeah. aim for, for temperature in your environment? So for seedlings, I like to keep it around 78 um, Fahrenheit, uh, and then 65 to 70% relative humidity, uh, just to try to, I, I 
I'm a big believer in VPD. Um, the vapor pressure deficit, it's just, it's proven. It's, it's a massive benefit to your garden. Uh, if you can get those stomatas to open up and, and to, to intake CO2, it's, it'll increase your, your growth and your performance of your plants like so much. So it's, it's a, it's a huge thing. So I try to get everything in that perfect range, the perfect VPD range. And, uh, there's a few charts that are online that you, that I follow, um, to, to get them in there to, for the right humidity and temperature at the same time. So then seedlings will stay at 65 to 70. Once I go over into the veg tent, I will stay around 78 to 80 uh, Fahrenheit. Um, and I'll typically sit around 60 to 65% in veg for a few weeks. Once I hit the flower tent, I'll start off at uh, at 60% humidity and I'll drop to about 52 into in 52% until the flowers are done. Uh, temps right now, they're a little high. They're sitting at 85, not too bad, but uh, I typically like that 80, 80 degree mark. Uh, it's kind of fall right now, so it's not too hot. It's not too cold. So my house, my, my central air in my house isn't on and it's not cooling everything down and uh, getting to that point and I don't want to add my my little roll around AC unit because it's just it's more power more noise it's 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 too much so I'll let it ride for now I'm almost finished flowering so uh, and then yeah it'll be winter time so the, the basement will cool everything down for me that way nice nice Let's flip it up. Let's talk about IPM. So do you do anything at all in order to prevent pests from invading your garden? Yeah, like I said before, I use uh, little sachets that I hang off of my plants um, by Copert, uh, or Copert, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but uh, Copert Biological Systems. Uh, they hang off your plants and they introduce Swirfskis and... Californicus to fight off thrips and spider mites. I got hit by spider mites if probably a year ago. Really sucked. Uh, they came, what, week four of flower, week three of flower? Uh, there was nothing I could do. I couldn't spray anymore. I couldn't really, couldn't really do anything other than introduce the, the sachets. So they helped a lot. Uh, they got everything under control, manageable, where they weren't, you know, completely webbing up all my buds. But, uh, but right from seedlings, I I, I use uh, essential oil sprays. Uh, there's a company called um, Cultured, and they they have a bottle of it's called Mercenary, and it's just essential oils. So there's peppermint and sesame seed oil and rosemary. So all the all the beneficial oils that we'll use as suffocants and, and deterrents for, for the bugs. Uh, I start that right from pretty much as soon as they start showing their true leaves, um, all the way up until about uh, week two of flower. So, so as soon as they start getting those little pom-pom hairs on them, it's, 
when I come out. And then I keep everything, I try to keep everything as clean as possible. As soon as I'm done with the tent, everything gets bleach, spray, ISO'd, everything. Like, I try to keep clean, clean, clean. Yeah, that helps so, so much. I always do a, uh, just kind of a, a wipe down of all the equipment, grow tents, everything, before I start growing. Also, I try to do one between when I flip the flower. You know what I mean? I try to do another cleaning of that. If I'm able to remove the tents, remove the plants out of the tent, I will. You know what I mean? I think it's worth it, in my opinion. And, of course, one of the basic things to do is to avoid going directly from your outdoor garden to your indoor garden, right? Because you could be, little, oh, yeah. little critters could be stuck on your clothing and could definitely invade your, your indoor plants. So Yeah. Um, like I said, this... This year it was horrible thrips and horrible aphids, so it was like I was freaking out for a bit. I, you know, I didn't even want to go outside. <laughs> okay, so what advice do you have for growers who are just getting started with organic gardening? Uh, you know, it's not as hard as you as you try to make it make it seem. You know, like it you read so much into it, and you're just overwhelmed with the amount of information and the amount of like. Oh, do I need worms? And do I need this? And do I need that? Well, no, you, you don't really. You know, just have a quick search on on build a soil. Build it. You know, build a soil has amazing soil that that's already pre amendment amended and, and pre built for you. So it's like they have these little mixtures that you can do. They have there's little there's little packets of of already pre mixed. Uh, brewed tea stuff so it's just you know it's it it becomes super simple when you want it to be simple um just dive into it get into the living soil and just start uh you you don't need to go crazy on on rice hulls and cover crops and this and that you can just start off simple um, there's lots of, of mixes that you can mix up yourself too, like the coots mix and, and uh, yeah, like this build a soil and stuff that you can just do all yourself. It's, uh, it becomes simple. Don't get too, uh, don't get too nervous about it. I think that's great advice for sure. So wrapping things up, how can the listeners find you? And what do you have upcoming in the future? You can find me on Instagram, mad underscore hatter underscore organics. And uh, YouTube, same thing, uh, mad hatter organics. What do I have in the future? Uh, I just started a discussions kind of topic on my YouTube channel. I just take a you know two to five minute kind of thing. Just the basics. Uh, I just did uh, one on VPD. Um... I'm just gonna start with the basics of things. Like, if someone wants to learn the basics of microbes, uh, I'll I'll touch on that and do a two to five minute thing on that. And uh, if you know the basics of things, you don't have to dive too deep into it. If you want to, you can, but don't get overwhelmed. Awesome. Well, I will link your channel down in the description section below. And again, if you're listening on one of the podcast platforms, you can just search Mad Hatter Organics, and this channel will pop up. If you enjoyed this episode, click that thumbs up button. 
Also, drop a comment down below. Let us know your style of organic gardening. So many different ways to do it. I would love to hear what you do down in the comment section below. Uh, if you haven't subscribed to the channel yet, please do. I release these podcast episodes every single week. Typically, it's on Saturdays, sometimes on Sundays. And if you are tuning in on one of the podcast platforms, particularly Apple Podcasts, please leave a rating and review. Uh, creeping up towards 200 ratings and reviews. So I think we can get there. So with your help, I believe we can get there. So thank you to everyone who has left a rating and review so far. Jeff, thank you so much for coming on to this podcast today. You definitely broke things down in an easy manner. I know there are people going to be tuning into this. And be like, it's not easy as I think it is. You know what I mean? If you're new, you may be thinking that it's not that easy by listening to this. But I think once you continue to push yourself to learn more and more about it, you'll find out that the organic blends top dressing method is the more easier way to go about it, you know, when it comes to organics. So, again, thank you for spilling spilling your knowledge here, dropping some knowledge bombs, and I uh, hope you enjoy the rest of your day. Yes, thank you very much for having me on. I'm I'm humbled and blessed, and, and I yeah, can't be uh, can't be any more happier. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Take care. You too, man.